Welcome back. It is a great opportunity to be learning. Thank you for making the time. I know it's a busy day for many of us. Um, uh, so first of all, I want to just uh, take a moment to thank the sponsors. I want to thank um, Mr. Robert Price, who's sponsoring this morning's shir. We will initially Shlomo ben Moshe Aryeh. That uh, is Mr. Price, uh, Mr. Price's father, whose yard site is Bayes ER. Um, this, uh, in two days' time, God, uh, God willing, it should be the Ilu Nishmasa. should continue to be a Melitz for the family always. Um, and uh, we also want to thank uh, Barbara and Jack Siegel, who are sponsoring the Nishmas Hendelbas Hirschleib. Um, that's Barbara's grandmother, whose Yorzai was this last Friday. God willing, again, this, uh, this, um, I thank you for sharing the Limud. The Limud should be the Ilu Nishmasa, um, and she should continue to be Melitza Yeshara for the entire Mishpacha always. Um, this today's topic is the Magen David Spangled Banner. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of fascinating things. But what better way could we start this year than welcoming the head of World Mizrahi, Doran Perez, to, to, to address us? He has to run. He's giving the address at the end, uh, introducing the program YU today, and a Shir and B'nai Yeshurun today. So it's a very busy day. We're very appreciative, and to me, this is a, a very special moment because it's my Rebbe from high school having an opportunity to, to, to share the wealth of my sons. Without much further ado, Raya Perez. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Really, my only regret is that I can't stay for the whole shir. I really would love to. I'm going to try and stay as long as I can until the Uber comes. But really, it's been such a schut for me to be with this wonderful community. And more than anything, to see uh, Rav Yaakov in action. He was always a star. As a child, he was a star. In Kita Yud Aleph, when I taught him Yud Bet, he was, a, he was already a budding superstar. And to see Rav Yaakov in this position and and growing the way you are and giving the way you are is unbelievable. I just know how he's looked after me. Every little detail from beginning to end, everything he could have thought of just to be sensitive to was unbelievable. So as, uh, is it Shalom? He just said, just uh, must be such nachas for me. I mean, if I can claim such nachas, presumptuous even to say it's nachas, but it is unbelievable nachas and shkoyach. And really, just amazing to all of first all, for this and a shir at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And shkoyach to all of you for coming at 8 o'clock. You, are you all Jewish to come <laughs> so early in the morning? I mean, there is a little bit of food, but that's not enough to get you up at 8 o'clock in the morning. This is really unbelievable. Kolakavod lachem. Lachem. So really, just a short word of introduction on the word degel and on the alternative word that it's called in Tanakh. So we know, uh, we know uh, the, the following. This is from the source sheet of what I spoke about at, uh, on, uh, in davening on, on, uh, after Shachrit. So we know from the davening, the tefillah which calls Hashem to bring us back. What is the nais? So we know, we know nais means miracle, but also in the pshat means a banner. And it comes from Yeshua, which says, The Jewish people and the Mashiach will be for a banner for the people. Meaning, says Yeshua, says Hashem, you will raise a banner, and the banner will draw the Jewish people back. And indeed, that's what we daven about. We say, Blow the shofar and raise a banner, because the banner is a... It's a point at which people can rally around. It's a rallying point to bring people back. And incredibly, uh, that's what the flag of Israel has been since the beginning of the Zionist movement. It's been a rallying point, as all flags are. There's something which capture the essence of, of national and religious aspirations. And you, you raise the flag and people see the flag and they know that that's what the flag represent, represents them. It's not some that enemies of countries like to... Do it, which is actually a terrible thing and it should be punished more than it is in international burning a flag. When you burn a flag of another of people, you're saying, this is what you wish on those people. It's not a simple thing. So the banner positive is that which we raise up 
and bring people <coughs> back. And I just want to say, secondly and finally, you know, I keep giving this a plug every time I speak. It's a Hamizrahi publication. You can see them in the, uh, the, the entrance of the shul. We've got many of them all over the world, different editions. But we did in this one, Dr. Afshalom Kur. Some of you might have heard of him. He's Israel's top linguist. I know growing up when I was in Yeshiva, he had something in, on, at, at 9 o'clock in the night. He gears man Lashon. It's come time for Lashon. And the kids used to call it the parents, he gives man Lishon, it's time to go to sleep. That's how we remember it. And he always used to give an incredible insight into the Hebrew language. He's a real genius. He's actually speaking to our group next week, next Friday. And he says, if, uh, some of you might have seen it, but I'll speak very briefly. He says the word Degel. What is the word Degel? Of course, we see it, Ishal Diglo. Uh, machaneo, we see in Dvarim, in, in Bamidbar, that the Degel, already the different Machanot, Machaneuda, Machanefram, each one had a Degel, each flag had a Degel, something to rally them around. But he says beautifully, and I end with this, he says, where does the word Degel come from? Because his, his, his essence always, his expertise is Shorashim, in showing what the Hebrew language means. So he shows two Psukim in Telim, which I'm sure you're familiar with. The first one is Vdiglo Alai Ahava, says Shloman Shorashim, Hashem, Medagel, love to me. Degel has got to do with love. And secondly, it says Dagul Mervava, uh, that a person should be Dagul amongst Revava, amongst tens of thousands. And he explains the word Dagul means something that you see which stands out. There's a Revava, there are tens of thousands of people, but you are Dagul Mervava, you are distinguished, you stand out. And you stand out for what? The Degel is there to, to inspire love. And that's really what a Degel is at the end of the day. It's not just a piece of cloth. It's a piece of cloth which have symbols which are so deep that when we see those symbols, we feel a sense of identification. We feel a sense that it stands out, it represents us. And it's something which is a rallying point for us. And Bemet, may the flag of Israel, which Rabbi Yaakov, I'm going to stay for the beginning. I really wish I could stay for longer. I'm going to stay as long as until the Uber's hooting and charging me extra, I'm going to be staying. And just to say, that's really what the, the shir you're going to hear on the flag. It's really the, the deep explanation of what that flag is, which we hope and pray that the meaning of the flag, all the Jewish symbols, that it will continue to be a rallying point, both physically and spiritually, for Klal Yisrael to return on a physical and spiritual level. So all of the best, and Shavuot Tov, Chodesh Tov, and Yom Ha'atzmut Sameach. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, Rav Perez. Let's, um, with an introduction like that, who needs a share, you know? <laughs> no, Baruch Hashem, we actually did coordinate in the car on the way here, because Rav Perez, this last minute for us, which was very, very thoughtful. I want to just do, I want to do it very simply with you. I want to learn with you. This is the most fascinating topic. And um, Rav Perez is really with the appetite on the spiritual level. What I want to do is I want to just reverse. I want to reverse, historically speaking, the movement towards the flag, historically, and then the movement through six perspectives of individuals throughout Jewish history and their perspectives of it. And we're going to move chronologically. So each of them is going to be a development as they're looking at the flag in a different perspective, and they're completely, completely different perspectives. No doubt we've heard one or two of them. I doubt that anybody has um, thought about all six in one, in one place together. So let's start. The beginning of, the, of this, the background to the flag, the history of it, starts actually in a very unusual place by an Austrian bohemian poet. His name is Ludwig August Frankel. So he published in the, in the year 1864. So this is well before Zionism is a, um, is a force that is to be reckoned with at, the po at this point in time or as a movement. He published a poem. He was a, he was a writer and he talks about this a very interesting specter. Listen to how he describes it. He says, when sublime feelings in his heart fill. By the way, why doesn't it rhyme? Because translated, exactly. So he did not write this in English. Um, when, when sublime feelings his heart fill, he is mantled in the colors of his country. He stands in prayer wrapped in spa a sparkling robe of white. 
The hems of the white robe are crowned with broad stripes of blue, like the robe of the high priest, adorned with the bands of blue threads. It's fascinating. As you, you can imagine, Ludwig was not necessarily a, a religious individual in the same we way we think about it, but you can see that his whole culture is immersed in Jewish culture, meaning this is, this is what his, his go-to point is as to what his sort of view or specter of, you know, what this, this almost this uh, angelic being is, is wrapped in this um, hems of white robe with broad stripes, stripes of blue. We start hearing this idea, this banner, this idea of, um, of what, what it could mean, what nationhood can mean. Of course, we're in the mid-1800s where nationalism in general is rising in the world. This is the, the Zionist movement was part of that nationalist rise among all the other countries in Western and Eastern Europe as to about their own entity and their own identity. And this is an exploration of this. Was this the, the actual source text for the, for, for the Zionist con Congress? Not necessarily. We don't know necessarily that they did read it. But nonetheless, this was out there. And we can assume that there were people who certainly, who certainly had access to this. And if I could ask you a question, would you be able to help me? I should print it the... The, these, there's a whole bunch of them sitting on the printer. If that's right, I apologize to, to this. It just might be easier because the, the writing's going to get a little smaller in some of them. Thank you so, so much. Um, so this is, this is the first thing. It's a poem. And it's certainly, as we know that, the poets and the musicians of society are always exploring the ideas that are about to open up, that are about to be explored by society as a whole. And when it actually arrived, by the time we arrive at the, is the, the I believe it's the third Zionist, World Zionist Conference, which is held in Basel, Poland. We're talking in the year 1897. We have, a, uh, we have a very interesting discussion because right now we're talking about not just, not just where to go. This is before you get the proposal. We're talking about you know, what creates an identity, what creates a rallying point. So in this, thank you so, so much. I, pointed, I printed out for about 40, 40 odd ones. So if we, um, I don't think we have enough, but if we could just spread them out, this will make it a little easier for some of the writings. Thank you so much, Shalom. Um, so the, the, the individual we're going to investigate is a person called David Wilson. David Wilson happened to be at this point in time the vice president of the national of, um, of the World Zionist Conference. He was, uh, when he discovered Herzl, he was actually schooled in Chovevetzion, which is actually part of the religious Zionist movement as well. And um, he, uh, he found Herzl and adhered to him wherever he went. He made it, as he describes in his own writings, I made myself at his disposal. And he followed him, and in fact, in 1907, after Herzl's passing, he was appointed the president of the Zionist movement. So he's a very, very distinguished individual. This is his writings over here about this, this um, Zionist con uh, Congress in 1897. At the behest of our leader Herzl, I came to Basel, making preparations for the Zionist Congress. Among many other problems that occupied me was the one that contained something of the essence of the Jewish problem. What flag would we hang in the Congress Hall? Then an idea struck me. We have a flag. And it is blue and white. Then in our, uh, we have uh, the talit which we wrap ourselves when we pray. That is our symbol. Let us take out this talit from its bag and unroll it before the eyes of Israel and the eyes of the nations. By the way, notice that there are two, there are two distinguished, the two, the two separate audiences here, Israel and the nations. You have to think about that as to who the primary audience of the flag is. <laughs> so I ordered the blue and white flag and with the shield of David painted upon it. That is how the national flag that flew over Congress Hall came into being. Isn't that a beautiful description? Here's the man reaching back into the past to show the flag to the future. Isn't that a beautiful idea? The idea of the blue and the white, the stripes, simply adding the mug and David. And that, in fact, became the adopted sign of the Zionist movement 
as a whole. Here's, here is at one of the congresses, you'll see on the wall, there is, this is, this is a, uh, a description, or this is one of the flags. You notice one or two of the different things in the precursors of the flag is in the picture, you'll see there's a lion in the center of the flag. And what else is, do you see this carefully? There are dots in each of the triangles. And there's a dot above it, which means there's seven dots. We have to explore what, what the seven dots really are, what their suggestion was. They faded out, meaning to say they didn't, they didn't make it long in terms of longevity. But nonetheless, this is one of the explorations of what the flag would look like, right, to think about why it was and what those extra pieces were necessary. This is one of the pictures of the World um, Zionist Congress. And this is really the, the, at the beginnings. It has a very deep religious significance at the beginning. I want to actually come back to that uh, when we explore that from a Torah perspective. We have actually from Herzl's own diary, this is his own handwriting, which is describing the, the perspectives of the flag. Once again, you see his drawing of the Magen David. And interestingly enough, in each of the triangles, again, he has a smaller Magen David, a smaller star in the one above it, which is matching what we see in the Zionist Congress as well. This is his own handwriting, which is going to be one of the precursors to what we see as the flag itself. Very, very fascinating. Of course, if we fast forward to that momentous day which we're celebrating this week, Friday, the 5th of ER, 14th of May, 1948, hours after the British have left the land or their mandate of Palestine, David Ben-Gurion um, calls together a conference in which he announces the State of Israel, that momentous occasion which we're celebrating this week. Of course, in the background in that famous picture is a picture of Herzl and his very elegant beard, by the way. We have to appreciate, you know, we couldn't, nobody could get away with a beard like that today, you know, leading a, a, a modern movement. It's, it's unbelievable, uh, unbelievable. And on the side, flanked on either side, of course, is where we see the flags, right? The flags which have sort of transmuted to the simple um, Star of David with the two lines on either side. At this point in time, this is not the flag of Israel yet. Fascinatingly enough, this was not yet adopted by the, um, um, by the government. At this point, we were scrambling simply to exist, right? This was a decision made against the behest of the world to, uh, to proclaim the state and now fight the battles against, uh, to, to fight the battle, continue to fight the battles against the Arab armies around us. It was only six months later that there was a provincial, the provin provincial council now actually decided in September to decide what should we do about the flag. So, so uh, there are a number of, of suggestions actually, just as, a, as an example. Here's one, one particular suggestion, this is by Nisim Sabah. Um, again, you're seeing the seven stars. You notice this, the seven stars again, um, which, were, which appear. These are some of the suggestions which were tended in the year uh, later on, in 1949 as well. These are some of the suggestions by some individuals who suggested different options for the flag. There are lots of sevens. Apparently, that a number of seven was in, um, in uh, Zionist, um, or secular Zionist philosophy. The socialist country of Israel would have a seven-hour Workday, interestingly enough, right? So you know, this would be part of the, the, the seven, which we were originally seeing those seven dots, those seven stars in Herzl's diary, which are, four, which are certainly coming in here. It interests me, just it interests me that the stars are yellow, right? Which in a certain sense, if you think about that, what are we doing? We're importing, we're importing our enemy's ideology into our identity, which is, a, which is something which we ended up moving away from. But that's, there's something to, be, to, to think about that, is that we're, moving, we're in a, still in a Gaulist mentality. We're still in an exile mentality if that's the way we're describing our flag, right? If we're defined by those who define us, right? The yellow star of David, which we wore as, a, as that banner of being, uh, being Jewish and moving into the gas chambers, if you think about it, and for centuries before that. It's very interesting that this still, still plays a role in our, uh, in our identity. And of course, at the, at the end of the day, this is actually the statement of the Provincial Council of the State, um, which is, and it uh, describes it in very specific, uh, specific detail. The Provincial Council hereby proclaims the flag of the State of Israel. Oh, this is uh, 
Um, the 28th of October, 1948, the Provincial Council of the State of Israel hereby proclaimed that the flag of the State of Israel shall be illustrated and described as below. And it gives you the dimensions. Interestingly, just for those who, are Euro who have a European bent, the dimensions are, are 22 by, well, 220 by 16. It's in centimeters, but that's actually an American dimension. It's not the A4 dimension. Different for paper and flags, just fascinating. Um, nonetheless, it describes the two um, equilateral triangles, parallel bases to the, to the stripes and how thick the stripes are. You see, the reason why this is important is because technically speaking, I'm wearing stripes. But these aren't the same stripes as the flag because it needs, you need to actually describe and prescribe exactly how big a stripe is, what a, what a triangle looks like. And this became the acceptance. I found an interesting letter a number of years later in 1968. This is a letter that David Ben-Gurion sent to an individual called um, Shargai who asked him, he said, um, um, Mr. Ben-Gurion, at this point in time he's living in Stebokir, he's no longer officially in politics, they said to him, Mr. Ben-Gurion, can you remind me who was on that council? So he said, yes, to the, to the best of my knowledge, this is, of course, 20 years later, or 19 years later, he says, this is who was on the provincial council. So this is just helpful to, to know who was actually involved in this vote. Um, and I just went through the list, of course, David, David Ben-Gurion himself was there, you know, Bento, Bernstein, um, Greenbaum, and it's interesting to me that there were two Rabbonim on that council, which just was fascinating to me when you look at his list. This is his own letter in dated 13th of January 1968 in Stebok Air. Here's what he says. It was actually Rav, Rav, Rav Yitzhak Mer Levine. Who was Rav Yitzhak Mer Levine? Does anyone you know? <coughs> no, Yitzhak Mer Levine was the head of Agudas Israel. Just to appreciate this. He was the head of Agudas Israel. He was involved in, in saving many of the children from Europe, establishing, uh, involved in the state, he became a minister, a minister of, of Knesset. Just to appreciate, we've drifted, right? We've drifted. There's been so, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of separation at the beginning. Rabbi Yitzhak Mer Levine, and he was by his criticized terribly for this. Effigies were burnt, just so you should realize, um, for, for being involved. But nonetheless, he was, he was, uh, he was on this uh, committee. And of course, Rav, um, there we also have Rav Khan Fishman, Rav, um, um, Rav Fishman. This is Rav Maimon, who was actually uh, there, as Rav Perez talked about yesterday. He was the person who said, Sheikh Yanov Kiyamanov Yanolazmanazeh on the 5th of Iyar, when the state was proclaimed. Very interesting, um, interesting individuals, very, a lot of very fascinating uh, history, how Rav Maimon actually got from Yerushalayim, which was under barricade, to Tel Aviv. On a, uh, with a broken leg. It's a very, very fascinating story as how he arrived in the independence hall in the first place. But nonetheless, um, they were also involved in this. Whether that held sway in terms of religiously, we don't know. But this is interesting to think about in terms of the, the general constellation of this council. Yes? How come none of the samples show the lion? The, the line apparently fades away. You'll, we'll see the line appearing in things like the flag of Jerusalem and similar, similar symbols. But it, apparently from the, the flag itself, we don't know what happened. In fact, if you look on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and you look they have a long description of the history of the flag, you'll see that they say we don't know why it is that the line, the line disappeared. Yes? What is the source of the star in the first place? Great question. Star David is an, a sheer in and of itself because it's, it has to be, happens to be a very complex topic. There, there's a question as whether it came from outside cultures, how early it was. We see, we see the six-point star and other things. It happens to be the Heathrow Airport was in, in the shape of a star, you know, different runways. But nonetheless, um, we, I'm, I'm not going to spend so much time on the, on the Magen David because it is its own complexity. I want to more focus on the flag as a whole. So here we go. This is the, this is, this is the provincial council. Let's move a little further <coughs> forward. Looks like we are, we are doing a little Khazari here. Here we go. Here we go. Once we get through this, we'll be through. I'm not sure what happens. Here we go. Rabbi, it seems, yes. it seems to me the yellow, the yellow star that they had on is not just a carryover, but it's taking that, that, that symbol and saying we will now use what you used as an act of defiance ourselves. You're 100% right. I, I appreciate it. I think that's what they were intending. I just think at the same time, there's something still, we're still being defined by those people who hate us. I want to, yeah, there is the, yeah, and you're right, that's exactly what I was thinking. 
I think that there's something to be said of that. We, we, we need new, we need a renewed uh, um, expression. I just thought this was interesting. It happens to be that in 2007, the biggest flag in the world was donated to Israel by, by a, 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 a wonderful non-Jew, a Filipino evangelical Christian. And she ordered this flag, which was 2,165 feet long, 333 feet wide, 5.7 tons. So if you look at this picture over here, those are cars and buses next to it. Actually, what you don't see in the picture is that next to her, she created an almost equally as large Filipino flag. And now with the two are laid out just by my side over here. And there's a beautiful picture. It's, uh, it, it really says something. I don't know if the record's been beat because everybody write, writes their own narrative of history. So Saudi Arabia has the biggest flag and America has the biggest flag and everybody has the biggest flag because they write their own history. But nonetheless, in 2007, this was the world record for the biggest flag. It's just fascinating how this came out. Now, the question is, more importantly to us, rather than historical records, um, or records of the largest flags is what is the precedent for this? Do we have precedent for this? So what I want to do is explore with you briefly in the next few moments. And we're going to do this briefly because I'm um, owing to time. But I just want to touch on six individuals who thought about this from six different perspectives. We're going to start in the year 1925. 1925 was an important year in many respects. Um, but the reason is because it was the year in which the drasha of the flag was given. Who gave the drasha of the flag? Another under them? Rav Avram Yisaka Koyen Cook who was presiding as the chief rabbi of Israel at this point in time. So he was asked for a very, to, to introduce the following ceremony, a very interesting ceremony. This is, a, uh, um, a, this is the Palestine Daily, which is the newspaper circulation at the particular time. If we look at over here, it's a little hard to read, but there's a description on the front page. There was no pictures in those days, of course. A description of a, um, a particular ceremony which was held for the 38th, 39th, and 40th battalions of the Royal Fusiliers, which was held at the... I can't, I don't know exactly what the, it's a particular hotel in Yerushalayim. Um, and the king's colors of the 40th battalion were being displayed. This is the moment where Jewish soldiers serving in the British army were being, were being honored. And at this particular ceremony, the, the speaker, the, the keynote speaker was the chief rabbi of Israel. So now which colors are we talking about, by the way? His majesty's flag colors, right? So he's asked to speak about the flag of England flying over Jewish soldiers. This is interesting, uh, just an interesting... Uh, Kind of, kind of place. We're before the state of Israel at this point in time. We're before this, the, the flag of Israel, but he's being asked to address it. So here's what he says. This is just very fascinating to see what his perspective. This is actually his own handwriting. Oops, we went back, but the, we actually have the, his own handwriting of his drush on his own stationery. And here's what it actually looks like in, um, in, in it's a very short drush. It was actually, the transcript of it was found in Palestine Daily. So if you carry on reading the second column, they actually have the transcript of it in English. I mean, very English-English. Um, and he says a number of things. He said what Rabbi Perez mentioned beforehand, that our nation knows about flags because for the moment in our inception, when we became a nation, as we are traveling through the desert, we had these flags. Ishal Digloi, every person had their own flag, we're traveling through the desert. But he goes further and he says, he quotes a midrash which says, why was it that we had flags? Here's, here's what he, said, he, he quotes. Very beautiful description. Um, this is to be found um, at the, the third paragraph of, the, of, the, of his letter. He says, Bashash and Nigla so when HaKadosh Baruch Hu revealed himself at Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu descended with tens of thousands of angels. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes in with these tens of thousands of hosts. All of them were, uh, were, were actually separated by flags. We, Israel, watching the celestial display, saw all these flags and said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we want in. We want the same thing. The Amru, Let us have flags like them. Amen HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, 
מה נסלבס ונעשויס? זה גולם, חייכם שאני ממלא משאלו אסכם. So Hashem says, you know what, I'm going to give it to you. Nerana no bishu asecha, v'shem elokeinu nidgol. Yemalei Hashem kol nishal asecha. Hashem is going to fulfill your request by giving you nidgol, a flag to banner to, to, banner, to, to rally around. Isn't it interesting? The request of flags was ultimately, imetati odeo in a certain sense. We're looking, we're trying to be like the celestial hosts. That's why we got the flags on earth. On a more spiritual level, very beautiful description, and he says every other time in history where we, as the Jewish people, have requested flags is actually as a continued expression of that emotion to be similar to what we saw at Sinai. Isn't that a beautiful idea? And he says, and that's why we respect the flag. And he has a beautiful and flowery description in his introduction and outro as as to this moment. I want to add a little bit to Rav Cook actually over here, and that is, is the pasuk which he's referring to is the pasuk in Bamidbar, which says Ish al digloy ba'osos. Every person had their flag and their signs, their symbols, come right as um, le, le base of some to their father's house. So the Medrash, I just was looking, I went to look at the Medrash that Rav Cook was quoting, and the Medrash adds actually an extra point which I thought was really fascinating. The Medrash over here, the Medrash Rabbah, in, per, in Perik Bay's Dalit, adds an extra dimension which Rav Cook did not mention explicitly in the letter, and this is, this is so fascinating. He says the following, Ishal Diglos comes back to the yellow stars. Here we are. He says in source, Shira Shirim says, Mi Zois Hanishkafak, who is this who's looking out? Kadoshim Gadolim Ayu Yisrobe Digleim. We are holy with our flags. Vokola Umois Mistaklin Bohem, Vitameim Vomrim. All the nations look at our flags and they're a little confused and they say the following Mia Zois Hanishkafa, who is this who looks out over, um, over the desert? Omrim Lohem, or almost, the nations turn to us and says, Shuvi Shuvi Ashunamis, the Shira Shem we just read a week ago. Return to us, return to us, the Shunamis. What's it saying? Hidav Kulanu, join us, said, said the nations of the world. We'll give you positions, join our society, we'll give you seats of power. We'll give you voted the platforms. We'll make you honorees in society. Come back to us when they see us starting to raise our flags. We'll give you. We'll allow you in. What is, what is, what is the response? What do you see in that? Are you able to give us the flags of our Kodesh Baruch Hu? Can you, can you replicate the independence that our Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us? Do you want us to be subsumed in your society again? Think about that. This is what a fascinating perspective. This is well before statehood. This is well before the whole, the whole last century. The nations say, why didn't you join the flag? Right, be a subsection of another society. It's all right. You survived all these years in, 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 in this way. When you hear Jews speaking like this, and you realize that our ideology has, has, has been um, <coughs> saturated in that type of thought when you hear Jews saying the same thing. No, no, no. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us flags. We have our own independent connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let's not forget that. That's what the Medrash is saying. I'm just adding a damage to Rav Cook. Let's move on. Year 1967. Torah precedent. The flag in the shore. Fascinating question was asked. Rav Moshe Feinstein was asked the following question. And uh, it might be a little a bit of a sensitive question to, to ask. But the question was, just to read again, Rav Moshe is unique in the fact that he does not post the questions. He gives a heading to his tshuva, which makes it hard to reconstruct the tshuva from the way he's answering. Here's what he says. Now, we're not going to do the first paragraph, but the question is, Because 
So, one shul decides that they're going to put the flags. The American flag, the Israeli flag, they're going to put them in shul. And then the other folks at the back of shul say, we're going to make our own meaning in the basement. Right? We can't dive it in a shul of this, of this nature. What is this? You're bringing in these trafe symbols into our, into our shul. Uh, how, how could you possibly be doing this? This is, this is not your, your meeting hall. This is a shul. Right? So they say, Ramosha, please resolve the thing. Should we make a breakaway menu? That's the question he's, he's addressed. At first he talks about whether a shul can lose its kedusha in general or not by acts performed in it. And he says no. But that's not really re related to the answer that he really gives. And this is the second part is this. Uveetzem. move on as the Israel well, what Isra is they putting the flag in shul? You can bring in things which aren't, you know, particularly holy or particularly not holy. You know, just, you know, you know, there's a, you know, a stand that you stand on, you know, um, rails, and there's all kinds of things you bring into shul which aren't, you know, functional. Right? Even if a shul is not made on tonight, most of our shuls are. And certainly when they are made on tonight with their kedushah. Even though those who established the state of Israel were a shame. And by the way, just to, in the subtlety we saw, it's not, so, it's not everyone, just to appreciate that, right? We saw the provincial council, right? They weren't saying that this is a holy thing, the flag was holy. They weren't saying that. Right? It's a secular symbol. It doesn't have any religious in, uh, significance. And because it doesn't have any religious significance, if it had, it would have been worse. Because then it's, it's perverted religious significance, right? When you're trying to create a new, a new religion. No, but it's not a new religion. It's a, it's a secular symbol. You can bring secular symbols into shul. And he goes on to say it's probably better not to. He says, if there's a way without a machloikas to be able to ensure that the flag is outside of shul, do it. But he's going to create machloikas. You have no right to create uh, a machloikas or a pirud through this. But we all notice, interestingly enough, that where's our flags in the shul? Outside. Outside. Just, uh, just so you should just appreciate these are, these are the, the, the based on the Surah Moshe's tshuva, um, necessarily. If there's a way to do it without machloikas. By the way, interestingly enough, just to, just to appreciate this. So what's Rav Moshe's conception of the flag? Secular. It's a secular symbol, right? This is important. This is very important because when you see people give it tremendous religi religious significance. But Rav Moshe is working with this and this allows him the latitude to say it's not going to interfere with the shul. Just very, very interesting enough. It, is, it should be noted. Now, this is not the same level. It should be noted, but for many, many years, the Ponovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak flies... The Degel Israel, the Israeli flag, every Yom Ha'atzvot. And there's articles in Yeshiva World News, why is it? Maybe they need government funding, the whole thing. <laughs> the reason was, is because the Ponovich Yeshiva appreciated that when he was building the Yeshiva on a dusty hill, when there was nothing there, he appreciated the fact that there's a state of Israel. Now, do we align ourselves with the ideology? Not necessarily, but a certain sense of Akara Satov. Now, it isn't in the Shul, it isn't in the Yeshiva, but that's one of the most, that's, you know, the, the heart and center of the Yeshiva world is to be found in Ponovich. And nonetheless, Baruch Hashem, they fly, they fly a flag or... I'm, I'm on your mind more as an appreciation, as a symbol, not as a religious symbol, but as a signal, symbol of significance. I want to just take a moment to wish Mazel Tov to Alan. Um, we're going to be celebrating the offer for Jason just uh, just a few minutes. Bashar Tov and Mitzlach Hashem. Moving on, we moved from 1925 to 1967 to the year 1974. The clothes or the, clo uh, the clothes of mourning. Rav Rav Soloveitchik. People have all these debates about Rav Soloveitchik today. Was he really religious Zionist? What did he really believe that? Was he just saying? Anybody who has a question should just open up the Chamesh Drashot that he gave at the World Mizrahi Conference. They should just read it. Read what Rav Soloveitchik says uh, um, at the, um, in, the, in the Zionist Conference and you will, it will blow your socks off. It is unbelievable. This is, this is just worthwhile reading for anybody. 
So, so Rav Soloveitchik has, and this is just the most beautiful thing, he has a moment where he talks about the flag. He has a bit of a different Zionist perspective to the, let's say, the Zionism of Rav Kook, as we'll see in just a moment. Rav, Rav, Rav Soloveitchik talks about the, um, the following. He says that, um, you know, he talks about the people who say halakhically, can we fly flags, can we not fly flags, can we fly flags with, um, with other flags, not with <coughs> other flags, right, can we fly it with the American flag, not the American flag. You see part of the discussion here, and they say halakhically speaking, we're allowed to, we're not allowed to, a whole complicated discussion. He says, the Marshal, Bedegel Britannia, Shinis Noises, Al Onios, Mishmar, Anglios, Asher Siruk, Bechoyfe, Eretz Israel, Bishonos, Arboim, Amoros, Vafelos, the Val Yisnasu, Eretz Plitzim, Achane, Harikus, Shell, Hitler, Bedegel, Zetovo, Anios, Anglios, Saratuma, Patera. So he talks about the English boats which in the, in, in the blockade where we're sinking Israel boats. He says the following. He says, Ritzoni, the Hoysif Masho. I want to just add something. Here's the translation. Into Shaloni, Eich Ani, Kiyodi Talmudi. How I, as a Talmudic Jew, meaning I'm steeped in religious, cultural um, history. How am I, my bit al degel medinat Israel? How can I look at the flag of the state of Israel? Can I view it through the halachic prison? That's always Rav Soloveitchik's question, right? Is there space in halachic ideology for this to exist? He says, I have a simple answer. And any gorace, bichlal, um, he says, we don't have such symbols. We don't have symbols of, you know, religious significance as such. So he says, he starts off almost sounding like Rav Moshe Feinstein, right? We don't have a, a religious symbol of religion, right, in, in such a way. He says, but we need to read Shulchan Aruch carefully. So he says the following. There's halacha, and by the way, we didn't do this last week in Rav Oshri's response, but he talks about a very similar case. Let's say, Rahman al a Jew is killed by the non-Jews. And by the way, this is our history, our history, our history, stained with the blood, um, knee-deep in blood um, of people who've killed us without any repercussions. And he says, if a Jew is killed, in, um, killed they're not buried in Tachrichim, they're buried in the clothes that they were killed in. And he's, part of it is, is the blood should be buried with them, so that, I, that there should be a thought that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take Nekoma. Not us, by the way. He said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take Nekoma. Hashem is never going to acquit that blood, which we read every Shabbos in Avarachim, even yesterday. He says, In other words, our clothes take on a religious significance when they're stained in the blood, the holy blood of a Jew. That's what happens. When look at the white and blue flag, is that not the greatest flag or the greatest cloth stained with blood? He says, Think about the blood. By the way, please sign up for Yis Karim in the next few days to sign up for those soldiers. We can connect with them. In the, in the lobby, just to sign up with our, our shul's adopted um, soldiers. People who lost their lives, 21-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, young men, young women, who were killed defending the, our people and our state. It was religious, irreligious. They didn't care. They killed us. What's the religious significance of the flag? Not as a religious symbol in terms of a national symbol, but in terms of a symbol of sacrifice. <gasps> we have to respect it 
and we have to appreciate it. Union Jack Hanokri. What you're going to give more give more respect to the Union Jack to Britain's flag than you are to the Israeli flag? What kind of cognitive dissonance is that in in your life? That's what the the the, the, the Rav Soloveitchik says. What a brilliant uh, idea! But you know something interesting in the religious Zionism of Rav Soloveitchik, it is dramatically different to the religious Zionism of let's say Rav Cook who talks about religious significance, we'll call it some messianic significance. Rav Cook does not have, Rav Soloveitchik is not that, it's practical Zionism, do you see this? Very different idea, he's reflected in Koldo Dido Fake, his six knocks are not about Messiah, it's simply about the practical aspects of the Zionism. We move on, 1978, Torah President, the Science for Redemption. Rav, uh, Rav Cook this time, but not Rav Cook, Rav Avram Yisaka Cohen Cook, his son, Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook. Rav Tzvi Yehuda was responsible for most of the publications of Rav, of Rav Cook himself. So you'll notice most of the white set of Rav Cook's Svarim are actually, in fact, written and printed by Rav Tzvi Yehuda himself, the Rosh Yeshiva Merkaz Rav, the, one of the founders of the Gush Emunim movement, the religious force behind it, the settlements today, the 400,000 people say, um, who are live in Yehudam Shomron based on his ideology. Rav, um, um, following 1967. Rav, uh, Rav, uh, Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook. So it says the following, in a response he wrote in the year 5738-1978, um, he says the following, just to appreciate this, he's asked the following Shiloh which causes him great pain, and he describes it. He says, Somebody says, ah, you know what it is, the flag is chukas akol. You can't, why, should, why should we have a flag? It's acting like the non-Jews. That's an Isra in the Torah, right? Don't go in their, in, their, in their statutes. He says, that's what it is. The Jews just want to be like everybody else, and that's why we're doing it. He says, I'm pained. He says, you need to do chur from that twisted perspective in life. He says, the Ramban says clearly in the Hashemotas of Mitzvah Mitzvah Dalad, which is what he's referring to on the Sefer, in the Ramban Sefer Mitzvahs, that Mitzvah Yeshuvah Aretz and Kivosh Aretz is a Mitzvah Midah Raisa. He says you ignore a Mitzvah Midah Raisa, that's considered like a Kfir Bukola Torah Kula. He says the flag is simply, look at what he has, he says, He says, He says, He says, He says, so he says, when we establish the flag, that is our way of showing that we are connecting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu through doing the midst of Yeshua Aretz, through all its symbols. That's an expression of our, of our caring and performing this mitzvah. And he goes, he, goes, he goes further and he says the following. He says, through sanctifying, through the heart of Torah, this land, and all its symbols, it is infusing in it the lifeblood, the life sap of religiosity, not just secular Zionism. That's where it comes from. It is interesting to note how he signs off this letter. Right? He says, Hayeshua He's not saying that the Gaul has arrived. We're in the process. We're trying to get there. But in the process of trying to get there, understand the moments, the symbols of that are holy. Do you see how different this is to Rav Moshe? See how different this is to even Rav Soloveitchik? 
just in terms of perspective. This is a religious symbol of the Qiyam of the Mitzvah, as Ratzayyuhara um, uh, suggests. Of course, he said this long before now. It was just that he was asked by this, the, the, this, the, the, the ostentatiousness of the question that was asked was what brought him in pain to write this, this shiva. Let's move to two more ideas, and we'll close with this. If anybody needs to leave, please, please feel free. I'll we'll just close uh, these, uh, these two ideas. Now, the idea is what our enemies thought, what our enemies think. So, um, Rav, Rav Doron Perez mentioned just a few moments ago um, about this idea. And this is, this is in a book called Yesh Shualim Barav Zalman Melamed. Rav Zalman Melamed, Sheikhia, has, a, has a, a simple response in Yesh Shualim. Again, this is in Iyar Tafshin Nunhei. Right? So we're 95 here. And he says the following. He says, uh, He says, What do our enemies think? About the flag. That's an interesting question. Now, this is a little bit like coming back to the yellow star kind of perspective, but it's a little more than that. Here's, here's what he says. What do, what do our enemies think about it? This is the second paragraph. Those who want to destroy our, our state. To them, it represents that beacon of hope that we all return to Israel. That it's our hope to remove the mosques. The hope that we will have the That we hope that we can live everywhere in the, whole, in the land of Israel. That's what enemies in and out of our country think about our flag. They think the flag means we want to return fully to the land uh, city of Hebron. By the way, you notice that the biggest, the most holy cities to us are the ones which are the greatest, the, the greatest um, source of debate and friction. Right, because that's where we used to live. The Arabs don't build new cities. They build old cities. They took over the important cities of us. We built the new cities because we couldn't get access to them at the beginning, just to appreciate that. Shechem, Hebron, Yerushalayim, right? We built outwards. That's the only place we had. He says, they view it that we want to take over the whole thing. He says, They burn it. Notice every, every ceremony. And, he, and here in America, in England, and in, at any pro-Palestinian rally, Burning flags, destroying flags, trampling flags, because they know what it means. And says Rav Rav at the end. He says, Those extreme, extreme far-left liberals who join the marches of the, of the Arabs are right. He says, you know what? It, it, it represents our return to our country and our Torah. Um, you know what? Sometimes they get it more right than we do. Sometimes they understand what we're supposed to represent more than we do because they burn it. We don't want to even fly it sometimes. That's what we should learn. The lesson we learn from our, from our enemies sometimes. Very, very fascinating insight. And finally, last and certainly not least, this is a, a, a piece I found in Rav Yaakov Ariel's book called Me'ohalei Torah. I actually have a memory of this. When I was back in Hezri when I was in Kerem I stayed for a third year 
And I stayed in a shear, which had, um, which was young men who pushed off the army service one year, which is a big commitment. His was five years. They can't even start college before doing five years, two years service, three years yeshiva, essentially. Um, and they pushed off yeshiva, the army service for one year to get more steeped in Torah before going to the army. This is half the year did this. Um, so I joined that shear. The, the maggot shear was Diane Buchris, one of the most tremendous Tamadech I've ever met. Um, and in Shir, at the end, on Thursdays, you'd ask each one of the Bokhrim to give a Devar Torah at the end of Shir. So I happened to be on Pasha Shlach Lecha, in the summer, it was my chance. So I found this piece in Rav, Rav Yaakov Ariel, and I started telling it, and I had to speak in Hebrew in front of all these um, um, Israelis, and at a certain point in the middle, I broke down. I couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't go further. So I feel like a little bit of restitution coming back over here, you know, just, uh, just to sort of get myself on the couch here to explain why this piece is so important to, <laughs> so, so important to, to, to me to come back to this. I found this now f uh, 13, 14 years later. Um, to appreciate it. He says the most unbelievable thing. He's talking about, of course, Shlach Lecha, which is um, the parish of the Miraglim, and he, he says such an unbelievable thing. This is what he does. He first quotes a Medrash and Bereshus rabbi. The Medrash says the following. I never thought about this. You know that each flag in the desert had a specific color. Do you notice that? Right? So here's the, here's the interesting thing. The Medrash tells us what the colors are, right? Not all stained glass displays the right, just so you should be aware, okay? Says symbols and colors. He says, what are the colors? So he says, yeah, the following. Yisachar was a dark blue. That's Yisachar's symbol. The symbol of stars and stars in the, uh, and um, the sun. Zvulon Yalom, but he has a diamond. But Seva Maposhaloi, Levonno, Mutsiolov, Svinosh, Al Shem Zvulon, Yehofamim, Yishkot. What was Zvulon's color? It was white. Isn't that interesting? You have white and blue. What is, what is Yisachar? Let's think about, of course, Yisachar and Zulun represent to us the most simple and basic ideological partnership in all of Judaism, right? The people who have to involve themselves in the world, the people who are, in a certain sense, insulated from the world, and they work together. They get the same share in Olam as they work together. Isn't it interesting? What are the two representations? Kachol v'lavon, blue and blue and white. But it goes further than that. And Tziv says, that's why when you read the parish of Tzitzis, the Shlach what, 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 is, what is happening to the Tzitzis? There's the... There's the the, the still together. So we have the we have the kachol, we have the blue with the lavan, right? With the blue with the white. He says, remember that now there's a machloikis, of course. There's two strings, one string, half a string. There's a machloikis. Ramam Tos is right as to how many they are. He says, but clearly it is mostly white and. The blues are added to it, meaning to say, there's the spiritual way of living life, there's a completely holy divorce from this world, with the kachol, the blue, and then there's the levan, the regular life. But the Torah says you need to have both. What is the, 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 the tzitzis a tikkun for, says Rav Ariel? Think about this. What was it a tikkun for? What was it fixing? Why, why is it that the Torah prescribes tzitzis in Pasha Shlach? What does the word lasosuru mean? Where's the word Lasur used before in a Pasha Shlach? The Miraglim, right? I mean to say the Pasha frames itself in, this, in this, just a basic textual comparison, right? Loisosuru, where the Tzitzis, so you shouldn't go and make the mistake of those, those slaves who went, those, the, the, the Miraglim who went, Lasur es Oretz. They don't use the word Miragel in Pasha Shlach, that's in Dvarim. The word is, is Lasur in Pasha Shlach, which means that apparently the Tikkun of the Chet Miraglim is using an, an ability to be able to have the Tzitzis. How? Very simple, he says, because the, the, the Miraglim went in when they had, they had a bifurcated worldview. They went in and on the one hand, as the Zohar says, they said, you know what, we love the religious experience of the desert. We get everything from God, the laundry, the food, the, everything is just fine, right? We go into Israel, tilling the land, agriculture, burning sun, swamps, malaria. We don't need that. Thank you, Hashem. Goodbye. Right? So that's, that's what they said. Is that a perspective or too much? Too much blue, right? 
But then you also hear them saying other things. They say, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, uh, no, we were like grasshoppers. This land is, consumes its own. Meaning, say, on a military perspective, it's impossible. Too much? Lavon. A little bit too much white. Says Rav Ariel. The, the way we can get into the land of Israel is realizing you need to have a lot of white. You need to have a country. You need to have infrastructure. You need to have an army. You need to have politics. You need to have art. You need to have everything a country has. But you also need the blue. You need the Yisachar. You need the Zvulun. That's why the flag of Israel is blue and white. Ultimately, he says, coming back to that the original idea. And to quote him finally, the last, the last thing he says, oops, the last thing he says, which is re most remarkable in the quotation of his beautiful piece, it's really on a three-page <coughs> Um, to quote the last paragraph, um, oh, okay, I keep losing it. He says, Our flag represents its holiness and its tenuous. It tells us, it testifies on our right to this land. It's tough, kid. We, our, our point in life is different from all nations. That's how we can wave this flag on this holy land. It's interesting that the symbol of slavery, right, because this is the symbol of slavery, blue and white, is the symbol of our freedom. Um, Degel Yisrael, Yamisnoses, Alat, Al Toran, Al Kol, Toran, Baritz Yisrael, Viyasa Yitzugo, Uvayatsugim, Shesh Yisraelim, Berchavetavel, Matzhir Lo Olam Kuloi. Waving this flag tells all the world, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Adeh Hashem, Uvashem Elokeinu Nidgol. We will wave the banner of Hashem because this is where we're at. Bezra Hashem, we should be able to wave this flag with all its appreciation religiously, and the nations and Israel should appreciate its significance. Thank you very much.